0: Hey guys, what is going on? I'm your host today, Chris Martelli, here with Giancarlo Alino. Episode 102, it's, uh, it's a pretty, pretty down day, it's cloudy, but we gotta start going, talking about, we're gonna start with in the ring, haven't started with wrestling in a while. I wanna quickly talk with you, Alino, about the Hell in the Cell match card that's gonna take place this Sunday. Um, I'm looking at the match card, not a lot of matches pretty funny there's only five announced um but with the matches that, uh, that are announced it doesn't look too bad i mean the two main titles the matches could be like show stealers i think jay uso he like he's proven to be one of the best singles he's i mean not one of the best but he's proven to be a great singles competitor especially in the storyline right now um, but I, I guess i'll start with this question between drew mcintyre andy orton what are you looking forward to most, and who do you think is going to win this match?
1: Yeah, Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton. Uh, pretty good feud. I like Orton. He's been on the top of his game, all his promos. Uh, he didn't win the title, which I was surprised. I thought he'd take the title off Drew, but uh, the way that Raw's looking up right now and the whole Money in the Bank situation, I think Drew retains here. Um, I think it's going to be like a long matchup. I think this might probably be the longest on the card. Like, I think Sasha Bailey might go a little longer than what we're used to seeing with the women's matches. But overall, I see Drew uh, and Orton uh, going the distance here and Drew getting his hand raised.
0: Do you think Drew can potentially lose to someone other than Randy Orton? Do you think maybe they have, instead of, because I know, at least for me, a month ago, I was saying Randy Orton should win he should win the title because he was one of the hottest heels. But do you think WWE has plans on dropping the title? Not to Randy, but to, or do you think the plan for Drew to drop the title, it's not to Randy? Is it to the, do you think maybe the fiend? Yeah. another that was actually, I was with you on that with Orton
1: like taking the title off him if they did that at SummerSlam. But uh, ever since this whole thing with Otis has been uh, on SmackDown and then him getting sued for that briefcase, I think they're leaving up another possibility there. Maybe The Miz can take the title off Drew and uh, come in. Maybe Drew's in a match like this with Orton. Uh, We end up finding out that uh, Otis loses the briefcase in that lawsuit. Miz comes in, takes advantage. And uh, if we saw that promo, he cut that uh, heel promo. If there were fans in there on Raw, it would have been amazing. But really cut into Otis and uh, bringing back legitimacy to that briefcase. So... That could be a nice transitional champ. I don't think Miz would have a long reign, but if they want to do like a two-month thing while they get Drew McIntyre back in the hunt there and uh, going into the Royal Rumble, uh, I could see Miz winning it and then dropping it maybe to a guy like The Fiend at Royal Rumble.
0: So do you, so with the, so it, the way that you see it is if Otis drops the, the briefcase to The Miz, you see a face Fiend taking the title and taking it to WrestleMania?
1: Yeah, I can see that. And then after we see Drew uh, lose to The Fiend uh, after going to the Royal Rumble, uh, and then you see a face Drew emerging, and that was seen maybe another contender. see Orton in there. I think Edge and Orton is probably what they have planned for WrestleMania when Edge comes back because they never got to finish that feud. And then you got The Fiend taking on... Uh, whoever is like there on raw, like I know he's feuding with retribution. I don't know how long that's going to go, but, uh, I think the fiend going to raw is because they don't want him taking the title or him being in a feud with Roman. So it keeps them both in a main event scene, both them world champions. And, uh, I think they want the fiend carrying raw.
0: Yeah, I agree there. I, I love what drew has done the last, I, I, it's already been like six months that he's held the title. Very quiet rain because of again there's not not a lot of fans so the buzz isn't as hot or electric but you know what Alino I'm gonna go here with Randy uh, taking the title here I just have that feeling I had that same feeling way back in 2009 when when it was John Cena that like he was him and I remember that feud him and Orton were flip flopping titles like every other pay per view. And this was when people were saying, okay, this is where Cena, this is where he holds it till Mania. And I thought, I'm like, you know what? I could see them maybe going with Randy because of, remember, like his methodical Viper days when he was bald and he just looked like he was a psychopath. So I really like the character um, with Randy, especially over the last month, bringing the, the legends and like bringing the legends into it with Big Show, Christian, Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair. I thought that was all amazing, Um, brings more heel heat to Randy, and it's fresh, it's different. I think Randy uh, will probably be a transitional champion, at least now in his career, but I think it's the perfect time to put it on Randy, at least maybe to Survivor Series, maybe even past that, but I wouldn't have Randy hold it at the Royal Rumble. Maybe it's either for me, it's either they go all in with Randy right now, and they have him drop it maybe at the Royal Rumble, or they have Drew hold it all the way to WrestleMania. That's the way I look at it. But um, good stuff with that match. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm going to say Randy wins. Um, the next match that I'm really, really looking forward to is Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso for the WWE t- Universal title. It's called a Hell in a Cell I Quit match. I really don't know what that means. Apparently, he said it's not inside Hell in the Cell. Um, apparently, it's just an I Quit match. I don't know. That's what I've been reading here. But what are your thoughts on the build for this about two months now? Um, and what do you think the payoff is for Jay Uso? If anything.
1: Yeah, actually this one, this is a fresh feud on SmackDown, a really good uh, choice there for them to go in this direction. At first I'm like, okay, they're going to do Jey Uso versus Roman. It's going to be a squash. And then their match at the pay-per-view ended up being a great main event. They delivered. And uh, that story there, Jimmy Uso throwing the towel. So I don't like this hell in a cell kind of stipulation. I think they should have just done the I quit because Jey Uso was the one who fought to the distance with Roman and his brothers wanted to throw in the towel. So he never quit the match. So I think if they just went in that direction with building this up, it would have been a lot better than calling it a hell in a cell. I quit match or a hell in a cell match with the I quit stipulation. Like I'm with you there. Like, I don't know what they're doing with that, but uh, I think Roman's going to take this and we'll probably see something similar to the last pay-per-view where Jay Uso will get his props from Roman but after this i see uh Jay Uso aligning with them and then after we'll probably see Jimmy Uso feud with Roman and uh slowly the Usos will join with Roman and form that stable on smackdown
0: yeah i agree with that i think it's it's almost i think going to come to the conclusion where jay's going to realize that i can't beat roman reigns doesn't matter What I do, what I throw at him. So I think it's going to be, you know, if you can't beat him, you join him. And I think I agree there. The Usos, one of the best tag teams that we've seen in this this decade for sure. No doubt about it. So you have the Usos. Imagine, just imagine that for a second. Roman Reigns with the Usos and Paul Heyman. That's just absolutely amazing. I think that would be entertaining. You could maybe even add Samoa Joe into that faction if they really want to mix things up. Um, you could have like that bully and Samoa Joe, the badass, and Roman Reigns, and then you have like the workhorses and the Usos. So I think that would work perfectly. Um, again, kind of similar to the Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton build and end result. I really don't know who's going to take the belt off of Roman Reigns. I mean, they want to see they want to do Roman Reigns versus The Rock at WrestleMania. I don't know if that means that The Rock's going to win the Royal Rumble. I really hope not because. I don't think that's best for business, but if there is one person on SmackDown that you can maybe potentially see coming close to beating Roman Reigns for that title, at least at this very moment, who do you think that is on SmackDown Live?
1: If they do it right, I would say Big E, but if they're going to go with The Rock versus Roman, I'd hold Big E off until SummerSlam. Uh, I'd have Roman go over The Rock, even though... Like The Rock coming back, it's going to be a big deal. I wouldn't have The Rock go over on Roman just because they just built this new character with Roman. He's a heel now. and If he loses to The Rock, I think it might take a little bit out of him and uh, might regress what he's been building this last uh, three, four months. So I'd like to see Roman go over The Rock at that point. I know they're throwing Goldberg's name out there. Uh, that might be a disaster of a match, but a quick one. Roman, I don't think, would lose to him, but Uh, If they go in this direction, I uh, hope it just buys some more time for Big E to take it off of.
0: Yeah, and I really hope they don't go with Goldberg because that would be, again, another predictable Roman Reigns WrestleMania match. I mean, I love Roman Reigns. I think what he's done in his career is exceptional. He's already been in WWE quietly for like already eight years, which is ridiculous. So, well, it'll be eight years come Survivor Series when he debuted with The Shield. but. I still can't believe Goldberg is even- I think, you know, you have a great crop of young guys on SmackDown that are scratching and clawing to make a name. Like, I saw, I think, a post the other day where they had, I think it was 12 superstars holding the Universal title, and you had guys like Cesaro, Biggie, E, uh, Shinsuke, uh, Daniel Bryan. Like, you had some big-time guys there that we would love to see at least feud with Roman. Like imagine a Roman Reigns versus Cesaro feud. Like, I think that would be absolutely incredible. Even what we saw uh, last year when we saw Buddy Murphy versus Roman Reigns, I feel like if they were to give Buddy, you know, the rub over Seth Rollins, and then you can maybe, Buddy can maybe build up to be saying like, Oh, Hey, I beat Seth Rollins. I beat your former buddy. Now I'm coming after you. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went with uh, buddy Murphy just to throw some people off maybe even if it was a one-off pay-per-view match because we remember i remember last year we saw that match live me and you uh uh at smackdown and that was absolutely incredible buddy murphy and roman if they gave that potential match of the year and uh i'm just i'm sick and tired we've talked about this i don't know how many times the the predictability and and just the part-timers coming back just to get a payday I don't appreciate it. I guarantee you, Roman Reigns does not appreciate it because he's been in that scenario. I could I could make a list, and we could just keep going. We could talk about John Cena. We could talk about uh, Triple H's face, The Undertaker, Goldberg. Like he's gone up against some guys, and it's like holy crap! Like even Brock Lesnar two or three times. So I, I really feel for Roman Reigns, especially when it comes to WrestleMania. If he's gonna feud with The Rock, that's maybe the only predictable match that I would want to see because we all love The Rock, I think, and the Samoan heritage there. There's a storyline that's kind of built within the two characters. Whereas if it was just Goldberg and Roman Reigns, it's like, okay, this was supposed to happen last WrestleMania, but we had COVID and you, you know, you had your your cancer treatments and you didn't want to come and you didn't want to participate. So if there's didn't do last year i think that's lazy i don't think goldberg deserves that shot we saw what that was an after so if i'm wwe just stay away from goldberg don't don't bring him back and don't bring him back into the main event picture that's just my opinion but moving on we have some we have this this has probably been the marquee feud in the last month Sasha Banks and Bailey going at it, and uh, I love the turn for Sasha. It was long overdue. Um, Bailey actually staying champ for this long may have been the biggest surprise for me for this whole year. Like we said, Becky Lynch's uh, reign was too long. I feel like Bailey's <laughs> reign has just been like five months over, and it's like I've just I've been so sick and tired of her winning. But that's what makes you a good heel. That's when you know you're doing your job when the fans are getting sick and tired of you winning. So I'm really happy for Bailey that she's gotten this opportunity. It's finally time. Sasha Banks takes this belt from her at the, at hell in the cell. Do you agree or do you disagree with me on that one?
1: It all depends on uh, the Charlotte Flair on SmackDown or raw (laughs) right now. I believe she's on raw, but I, I, I really have no idea. Because oh, if she's on uh, SmackDown, I would say Sasha wins the title. Charlotte comes and uh, she's the <laughs> final reigns and the tired dad before Christmas. So I'm going to go, uh, I'll go Bailey retaining here. And then we'll probably see Sasha out for a little bit. Uh, and then her taking the title at the end of the year. I think Bailey's going to hold this until December.
0: <laughs> oh, Yeah. I mean, would, would you be upset if they did, like, the Batista treatment in 2010 with Charlotte? Like, they have, like, Sasha Banks win an absolute banger of a match. They're both exhausted. You just And then Ric Flair or Vince McMahon just comes out and says, This match is not over. Charlotte, come out. And then Charlotte comes out, does the big boot, natural selection, or the spear. And that's it. And then you have a new champion, Charlotte, again that would get so much heat. I mean, I really don't even want to think about what Twitter would look like after that ha- if that were to happen. Like it'd be like, "Oh my god, Charlotte Flair gets handed everything, blah 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 blah." But she's she's been deserving of it. She's one of the greatest women's wrestlers at least I've ever seen. So the WWE universe definitely misses Charlotte. I don't know if fans want to see her win the title right away, but I'm leaning to I'm leaning more towards wanting to see Charlotte take on Asuka. Because I wanted to see that last year, and they went with um, they went with Charlotte, Rhea, and I mean uh, Charlotte, Ronda, and Becky, and then this year they went with Rhea and Charlotte just to mix it up. And to, cause you gotta remember, at that time near WrestleMania, WWE was competing with AEW for the ratings, so they had to push Charlotte Flair on NXT to kind of even that up. So I really do believe that. If Charlotte does come back, it's going to be a big-time moment like what I just said. I could see her either coming out after the Hell in a Cell match and just taking an easy title like what Batista did to John Cena. Or I could even see her just coming back on Raw, demanding a title shot against Asuka, and even pulling it off and winning. So either way, I think Charlotte Flair coming back would be great for the women's division. And I think it would spark a lot more heat and a lot more interest for the fans as well. But moving on, we got to talk about this has been this has basically been the hottest thing, at least the last week and week and a half. The Fiend surprisingly attacking Retribution. Uh, I didn't see it coming. Would you say that was more surprising than Mustafa Ali aligning himself with Retribution?
1: I think it was a little bit more of a surprise that they went in that direction so soon. Like I thought maybe come WrestleMania time, they might turn him face or um, more of a not let, being a heel that much, but being in between him going in this direction against Retribution is kind of early. I think it's going to damage Retribution, uh, all the momentum they gain, especially Mustafa Ali. Like, uh, Mustafa Ali's been good, but I don't think he's going to go over on the Fiend here. Like, just the way they're building it already, the Fiend is just beating up everybody. Uh, so, I see the Fiend just <laughs> going one by one, and then we'll probably see some. Sort of uh, disbandment in this faction, but leaving Mustafa Ali as a main heel. So, got the fiend winning this uh, whole feud and rivalry between the two. And I don't see Retribution really getting a win over him.
0: <laughs> so, what do you think's gonna happen with Retribution in the long run? Is it safe to say that this faction is almost folding? But, to- but like, because <laughs> I, I I read on I read on Raw or uh, I mean on Twitter about Raw that like fans are just, they're like, okay, WWE literally just folded. They folded this faction. It's over. Um, If you're going to put one of the hottest acts in the fiend, at least for the last year and a bit against retribution, I guess they've been hot, but the fiend has just been more consistent. We all know how great Bray Wyatt is. I mean, the firefly Funhouse and all that elements every single week, whereas retribution is already kind of getting stale. Uh, I love Djokovic. I think this is a big match for him. Um, he's been in NXT for quite some time. He's had some outstanding matches. If if none of these fans know uh, T-Bar, like if they don't know him as Djokovic, you have to go back and watch some of his matches. Absolutely incredible. I, I don't think this is going to be a match at all. I think this might even be a squash, but Djokovic deserves better. Um, Retribution definitely deserves better. And I think The Fiend deserves better. I think... This is just where WWE, they had to panic. They went with two hot acts, putting it together. And I feel like they just want to see if it fizzles or not. But I don't, I don't see this working out in the long term at all.
1: Oh, a quick match. Uh, poor Dominic Dajakovic, T-bar. He's going to take a quick pin here. Uh, I don't know. They're even feuding with the Hurt Business. So I don't even know what the deal is there. Uh, I think by Survivor Series, though, this could... Uh, Look like uh, retribution gone for good, or uh, just Mustafa Ali with one member as a, a single? Like, it's kind of like what Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan had. We'll probably have Mustafa Ali and uh, one of the other members.
0: Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, again, I think I asked last week, "What do you guys? Wh- where do you think Ali is going to go after all this? Do you see him maybe as an IC champ, a United States champ, or do you maybe see him?" kind of hindering in the top spot on on raw i think
1: a little bit of both i want to see
0: like i don't think he's gonna take the title of bobby
1: lashley i don't think it would be believable right now just because we haven't really seen him on tv the last year so i'd hold off on that and then when bobby probably loses the title to ricochet down the road they can go with mustafa ali ricochet or i'd like to see even ali in between i think that would be interesting there are a lot of feuds up there, but uh, maybe Keith Lee would be one. Uh, somebody in and around there. I wouldn't go like right to the top like an AJ, but uh, if they go to the direction, wouldn't mind seeing that.
0: Yeah, speaking of AJ Styles, doesn't have a match here on the card, but we saw that he had a big, big bodyguard now, seven foot three, big Joshua is what they call him. Um, he's a freak, he looks terrifying. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you really see AJ Styles leading more towards a main event push yet again? Or do you see Drew McIntyre down, uh, at least for the time being?
1: Yeah, I see AJ. He's, uh, I think he's ready for it. I don't think they're going to put the title on him. But I think he's going to be in that hunt there in the main event. Uh, having that big guy watching his back. He also has his stats guy, Abyss, Joseph Park. So uh, I see this going in that direction and hopefully for Abyss, uh, have AJ and Big Josh turn on him and you have Abyss versus AJ, give him a one match in WWE because all the dues he's paid of going through thumbtacks, flaming tables, glass tables, fire. So I think he deserves one match in WWE. Have him and AJ have a one-off and uh, you have uh, AJ and his new bodyguard uh, going in another direction until WrestleMania.
0: I love it. Um, also, we see Jeff Hardy versus Elias. I thought that would maybe. I thought maybe Jeff would go for the Intercontinental Title here, maybe feuding with Sami Zayn. But we're not getting that. I don't even know if Sami Zayn is going to have a match uh, come Hell in the Cell. Uh, what are your thoughts on the IC title picture right now? We know Sami Zayn. He's he came back. He's looked great since coming back. He's he's regained his title. Um, Do you maybe see Daniel Bryan being the guy to to dethrone Sami Zayn for the Intercontinental title? And if you do, what do you think is next for Sami Zayn moving forward? Do you see him maybe just floating around in in the IC title picture? Or do you maybe see him aligning with Kevin Owens down the line for a tag team title run?
1: Yeah, I think Kevin Owens would be—because he's another guy who— He's been back and forth on Raw and SmackDown. I think he would benefit again uh, being with Sami Zayn. Those two guys were gold together. Uh, I think if they're a face duo instead of a heel duo going after the tag titles, uh, that whole division as a whole just needs a lot more depth. So if you put Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens together, uh, I think Jeff Hardy goes over on Elias, and then we might even see him in Roman. Uh, That would be a big name to go after Roman, but... Uh, I see this whole uh, Sami Zayn uh, intercontinental title run not being too long. I think he's just more of a transitional guy to hold it. They don't want to make AJ or Jeff Hardy take a fall, so they have it in that ladder match and protect everybody. So uh, I want to see Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens.
0: Love it. Um, As well, one more thing before we change the topic. Asuka's not on the card. Do you see her maybe defending her title and if you do who is it against um but at this point what do you think is like next for oscar because my expectations for her have kind of gone significantly down since her match with way back for the title i remember when she won the first tlc match and everyone was like oh my god this is a big moment for her and i think ever since i don't know wwe's kind of missed the they've, they've kind of dropped the ball with her so what are your thoughts on Asuka's reign so far? Do you see anybody maybe dethroning her in the near future? If so, who do you think that is?
1: Yeah, so I just searched up uh, the draft. Charlotte Fleur is a member of Raw, so I see Charlotte taking that title when she comes back. Uh, I think Asuka, if she has a match, I wouldn't be surprised if it's against Lana again. Uh, i probably give Lana more offense in that, but I see Asuka, Charlotte. Uh, one thing that would be interesting, though, if they go in this direction, uh, maybe after WrestleMania, Charlotte's champion, if they sign Tessa Blanchard, I think that would be a perfect matchup for those two.
0: Holy, yeah, uh, that would be awesome. I feel like that would be like the home run, though. I feel like they would have to wait for uh, like they would do that, but not not right now. I think they would maybe aim for that maybe more towards uh, WrestleMania or maybe the Royal Rumble. But I do see Tessa Blanchard coming to WWE and maybe making her debut at the Royal Rumble. I think that's almost a given. Um, like, there's not a lot of like names out there, especially right now in free agents. And you just look at Tessa Blanchard and what she's done in TNA, and you just have to like triple circle her name and just just assume she's in the Royal Rumble, and I think she's going to win it too. So. Uh, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say for now, just keep it on standby. I guess, Oscar Charlotte Flair, flip-flop. But come January, Tessa Blanchard, I think, is going to be uh, a big part of this women's division. So for now, it's, I think it's acceptable to say that this division's been on standby for a bit. Um, a lot of people don't take this division really seriously, which sucks because, you know, Nia Jax came back and everyone was excited for that. Um, but, you know, her and Baszler as tag champs, I've also kind of felt flat. I mean, I I really, I thought they would be a little more dominant, a little more featured, and they haven't been. So um, it's just very unfortunate for that. But moving on, we got to go to the NHL. This has been a very, very busy couple uh, last couple of weeks. But this, like we've talked about this before, just me and you. I think it was a couple pods ago. Patrick Laine is still looking for a new home do you see the winnipeg jets potentially trading him if so what do you think the return is and what do you think is next for the finish star
1: oh yeah they have to trade him now uh i think blinding to his credit this was a smart move by him sending that bridge deal because signing a two-year deal uh last july means that once the first season's done, you can already negotiate on your next contract. So that's two straight years of contract negotiations. He puts uh, a bind on uh, what Winnipeg's able to do. So their GM should have known that was going to happen. He should have planned for this. He should have maybe pushed more for a third year. And if Line didn't want to sign it, you try to push him along, maybe until right to, against the deadline in December. And uh, if you know that he's not going to budge on it, then you go back and give him what he wants for the two years. But This is like what the agent even coming out and saying, oh, I think it's best if uh, they work on a trade. That already takes away the kind of return you can get. Uh, They, I think, made this go on a little too long. I think the draft they should have already traded got the best offer. That's probably his value was at the highest. But what the agent coming out and saying all this and making a statement, that takes away some of his trade value.
0: To me, the the most puzzling thing for me, is the amount of superstars and, and not even superstars, but just like core guys that have been with this franchise just all of a sudden won out. Like Bufflin last year, he just all of a sudden is like, I don't want to play, I'm done. You know, uh, he, didn't, he didn't go to training camp. Evander Kane was another guy he wanted to leave. Jacob Truba just left due to arbitration issues. Patrick Liney basically almost the same thing. I mean, I can't stress this enough. Patrick Laine is probably the guy in Winnipeg that I thought would make this team contenders. Like, I'm looking at their their group. Like, like no no mistaking. Like Kyle Connor's absolutely. I think he's elite. I think Ehlers is just below elite. Um, I would try and trade Ehlers right now if I can, and then that could give you a little bit more cap room to to re-sign Patrick Laine. If I'm the GM, I am not trading Line. A. I think this guy is like the more that I've thought about it, I think that Winnipeg, they they have a gem here. You 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 draft him second overall. The the he I think okay, last year was kind of an off year, but you have to look at what he's done in his development. He has become a, a much better two way player in the last year and a half, and he's become a much better playmaker as well. You're not gonna get that defensive game from Line. A. But we all know that we've seen that with the guys like Jack Eichel, Taylor Hall, Johnny Goudreau. These guys are just offensive, perennial players. They're not going to play defense. So I think Shevel Dayoff has to understand that Patrick Liney should be the number one w- right winger right now, and they and he's not. It's still Blake Wheeler. I love Blake Wheeler. He's the captain of the team. He's I think he just turned thirty four. So I think this is where Shevel Dayoff has to start realizing that hey. Some of our guys are getting old, so Line A needs to get, he needs to go into that number one right-winging spot with Shifley and Connor on the top line. And I think that's fairly simple to even coach. I, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm Paul Maurice or if I'm Shevel Dayoff, I'm making that my top line nine times out of 10 on a nightly basis. I love Blake Wheeler, but I think Line A and Connor together oh my, that would be absolutely scary. And then you could have a great complimentary second line with someone like a Roslevic or a Brian Little with Wheeler and Ehlers. So either way, I think it's mind-boggling that Line 8 is like... <laughs> and, and also with Winnipeg, I don't see Winnipeg getting a return that is a winning situation for them. Like, I don't see Winnipeg getting something back and saying... Holy shit! Like that was that was absolutely incredible for Winnipeg. Like, Alino, the way I look at Patrick Laine right now and his trade value is kind of like how I looked at Mark Stone's trade value last year. Like, you know what I mean? Like when Ottawa yeah. traded Mark Stone, they got Branstrom, who is a blue chip prospect. He is supposed to be arguably a better offensive D than Chabot. So there's your ace blue liner right there, but. Like, really, I'm looking at some of these trades here. Like, do you really see a team like the Islanders going all in for Patrick Laine, like trading Pulock and Dobson and Nelson? I just feel like that's just a... a like, it's going to ruin the team chemistry, especially with Winnipeg and Wheeler and Shifley and all those guys if they trade Laine for three, four other roster players. So I guess I got to ask this question, Alino. If you are trading Patrick Laine... What are you expecting to get in return? Yeah, it's a, it's tough
1: because not a lot of teams right now. Uh, if you did this at the draft, you would have more of an option out there. The kind of teams you can trade them to. Everyone's more flexible with their cap and uh, free agency didn't start yet, but now as free agency is like about a w- couple weeks in kind of limits how much you're able to spend on a trade. So uh, with everybody off the board now, like $8 million deals signed, $6 million here for other teams. Uh, you're looking at teams like Detroit and Ottawa who have the space to do it right, like anybody you want on their roster, but Lion A is going to want to win a cup, and those guys aren't going to do it yet. I think the Islanders are probably the best position for him if he wants to win. Uh, Carolina would be interesting. Buffalo, I think if I'm Buffalo, I have to do a deal right now. you got Tiller all for one year. Um If Patrick Line is available, you have him now on a line two. You can have him, Eichel Hall. Uh, That's a risk you have to take one year. If it doesn't work, you have Eichel still for another five or six. If anything goes wrong, you can just trade Eichel at the end of the day. You have Dalene, so I think Buffalo has to. This is a chance Buffalo has to take, and this kind of opportunity won't come up too often for them.
0: Yeah, I agree there. I think the best. I think the best fit for him is either. Buffalo or believe it or not, I'm going to go with Philly. I could see lining in Philly. And the only reason is because of the, all of a sudden, like the amount of young players that Philly has gotten, I'd, I'd say the last, I'll say since the 2017 draft, since Nolan Patrick has come along, um, they've, they've generated a quite a bit of offensive guys. I mean, Morgan Frost was no slouch. They traded Braden Shen for him. And uh, Morgan Frost is looking like one of the better offensive prospects in the game. Travis Konechny is no slouch. I think he's a, he's a guy that can maybe go the other way and that could even, Travis Konechny to me is basically a mini version of Blake Wheeler. I mean, when I look at him, he's a little quicker on his feet, a little more agile than Blake Wheeler, but, and of course not as dominant as a power forward, but I think Konechny would be a great fit for, um, for Winnipeg, even, like if I could see a trade package being, and I, I don't know, maybe call me crazy if you're Philly. I don't know if maybe I could ask Eric this question because he's a Philly fan, but I could maybe see the Flyers trading Konechny, Morgan Frost, and Travis Sanheim for Patrick Lyne. And then you could have Couturier, Lyne, Giroux, and that's, I guess, the big three that you have moving forward. You also have, um, you know, a couple other guys in that lineup like Kevin Hayes or uh, sorry. J- yeah. Kevin Hayes. He's there. He, he had a great year last year. Um, Oscar Lindbaum was a great story. Uh, I don't know how much better he can get as a player, but, uh, everyone's rooting for him for sure. So, um, either way, uh, going back to Buffalo, I think this is a team that kind of like Philly over the years, they've gotten, a, they've generated a lot of great players. They just haven't pound. They haven't panned out as quickly as people have hoped. Like Casey Middlestad, we talked about him, I think, last week or two weeks ago, how his potential was there and right now he hasn't lived up to it. You could relatively say the same thing with Sam Reinhardt. I'm still a big fan of Sam. I think he's still a great player. Um, he's not a second overall player. The way I see Sam Reinhardt is the way the same... View. He's in the same light, Sam Reinhardt, for me, as as Nugent Hopkins, as he's not a top five player in a draft, but he is a hell of a player. He's a guy that I will take on my team nine times out of 10. Um, so if I'm Buffalo, maybe you can trade a Sam Reinhardt, Uh that young defenseman they got from Chicago last year in Yokoharu. You can maybe trade him. You could trade Ristolainen. That guy's been wanting out for years. So there's your escape right there. And then of course, there's another guy in Jack Quinn, the guy they just drafted. He's got some uh, trade value. So um, I really like what you mentioned there with Buffalo. I, you gotta go all in, I guess, at this point. You have Line. A. Uh imagine just imagine Line a, Hall and Eichel on a line. I mean, there's no defense there, but that offensive line is one of the best in the game, if not the best of this decade that I can at least see on paper. But um initially, I'll say I'll say Line a stays. I think they're gonna work out a deal. Um he's he's just too good. Like you, like We were talking two years ago so highly about Line and how he's potentially the next Ovechkin coming into the, the league. I just don't see Kevin Shabble day off. I know now he's saying maybe they're going to trade him, but I think maybe if he if he goes in a dark room, he, he really thinks about this situation. I really think there's not a lot of guys that come in the league and they're as elite of a goal scorer as Patrick Line. So I don't see them trading him, but if they do, I think Buffalo is the, uh, it's, it's, it's the perfect fit. But moving can imagine,
1: on. Uh, can you imagine if it's not Buffalo, see Carolina swoop in uh-huh. there or Edmonton? You have Ajo and Line back together, or you can have McDavid, Line If they go and trade Nuge, they go
0: trade uh, Darnell Nurse maybe. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Holy who? Like, I'm trying to think who they would have to trade. They definitely have to trade Bouchard, Nurse, and probably Nuge for Line A. And then if you if you add in Carolina, like are you trading Teravinan? Are you trading Nikus? Like who are you trading there if you're if you're Carolina to, to acquire Line A?
1: I think you can trade you might be able to get away with Jordan Stahl's contract and uh, a lot of picks and a blue chip prospect and maybe a Nikush and somebody off your back end. But I think like if the cap the way they have it, I think Jordan Stahl's contract might benefit uh, Winnipeg because it can take him not too many years left on it flip him after Get look at free agency and build on everything that Carolina gives because Carolina got all those picks from some of the trades by taking on other contracts from other teams they got from still could be a good backup Reimer is probably going to go into the expansion draft so I think they could be flexible that'd be scary though Ajo and A reunited that world junior line
0: yeah, that would that would not be a fun sight uh, for the East. But one more, I guess one more team I want to talk about with, that's probably been linked to Line A. Um, the GM is finished. We all know this. Columbus, the guy we all thought would draft Paul Yarvi. he drafted Dubois, Kekalainen. Do you maybe see him maybe trying to go after Line A? And if if Columbus were to go after Line A, can you maybe see them parting ways with a guy like a Atkinson or a Liam Foodie? Yeah, like, with Liney, though, like, it just depends on the fit
1: there, like, who you're going to get. If you give up too much, like, they don't have too many prospects coming up like some of the other teams there. Uh, Columbus is built right now really well under Torch's style. Like, they got Max Domian. I think he's a perfect fit. Uh, Gustav Nyquist, I think, is making a little too much money if uh, Winnipeg were to take him back. But Cam Atkinson's, like, that kind of guy that Torts likes. He forechecks a lot. He scores. But if he can get Line out of that, it's going to be coming down to draft picks. Uh, he's got to get creative. Maybe he has to take another contract off Winnipeg's hands. But I think that's doable. And they have a lot of salary cap in Columbus. So if they're able to look at free agency and tell a free agent that's available, listen, we have Line a coming in. Would you be interested in playing maybe on his wing, uh, joining the team on a discount? I think that's a good uh, team there. Put their name in the hat.
0: Yeah, I agree there. Um, I think either way, it's safe to say, regardless if he does get traded, they're getting a goal scoring machine in Line, a Regardless um, if Winnipeg does part ways, I guess this is the last question that I'm going to kind of ask here, um, Alino. So if if line a does end up getting traded, y- you know you you've dealt with Kay- you you've dealt Kane, Truba, Bufflin over the years, and now Linea. How bad of a look would this be for Winnipeg, you think, if Line a were to get dealt? And do you think if Line a were to get traded, do you think it would be a lot harder for guys to maybe find success? I mean, in Winnipeg? Yeah, I think the thing with Winnipeg, it's like a lot
1: of people are gonna look at this team as okay they have a nice fan base but it might not be the destination it's kind of similar to like the raptors in the nba like they see the fan base but when it comes down to it there's not too many free agents that are always looking at toronto as that team to go to go sign so i think winnipeg are in a similar situation in the nhl uh where it's just they might have a good team but it's gonna really have to be a championship caliber contender for like a free big name free agent to want to go there like Stasny's a good move they made. They brought him back uh, because Vegas wanted to free up space. But if you're looking at potential free agents going over there, like you lost Myers, you lost Truba, Bufflin, that's going to be a tough sell for them. So if Line A leaves, it's going to be like, uh, if I'm a star, like I'm eventually, my time's going to come up after like two years. It's not going to be a long career in Winnipeg.
0: Exactly, yeah. So it's kind of like at that point, this is where – Fans and even players in the organization start asking, Well, where's the poison coming from? Because, like, this is going to be the fourth potential star that you thought would last seven plus years here with this organization. Like, I thought Kane, Truba, and Buff, well, Bufflin was there for quite some time, but I thought Truba and Kane for sure were going to be there it almost, I thought, maybe even for life in Winnipeg. And we saw how quickly that just, that just flipped. So if line, were to leave, I mean, this is where you got to start asking yourself, like if you're like a Mark Scheifele or if you're a Kyle Connor, this is where you have to start asking, well, is this place really hard? Like this hard to get a superstar and for them to stay here? Is it the weather? Like I really have no idea what it is, but right now I feel like there's a big black cloud in Winnipeg in this organization. And if line, were to go, I feel like it would just add more to that cloud. So um, I hope Shevel Dayoff does not trade Line A, but again, anything is possible. But moving on, that was awesome talking about Line A. We got to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs because they continue to make moves. Uh, they just re signed to a friend team friendly deal. I think it was at 1.69 mil. Uh, I guess Alino, I'll ask. Do you, uh, what, do you, what did you expect Mikkeyev to sign? If it was not team friendly. Yeah,
1: the number I saw being thrown around, I was actually surprised. We're seeing $3 million, 2.7 maybe, like in and around that range. Last year, like even though he got injured, like he didn't really play too much. And then in the playoffs, he played fine, but nothing really jumped out to like, okay, we got to sign this guy, give him everything he wants. So I was kind of happy that they signed. They were able to get him down to a reasonable number. Uh, and then they also have, like, a lot of guys coming from the KHL, like Barbanov. they have in. So uh, I don't know what's going to be, what they're expecting out of these guys, if they can be day-to-day guys. Nick Robertson, too, you have. So it's going to put a lot of, I guess, options for Keith. Like, you can go with Robinson, Barbenov, Mikheyev, uh, Korshkov, even for those kind of bottom six spots. You have Thornton and Spetsa. And then you have Sandine, like you don't know what his future is going to look like. Maybe it's on the Marlies. You have Dermot, you have to re-sign. So still uh, a lot of uh, flexibility that Dubas is going to have to create here with uh, the signing.
0: Yeah, uh, I, I, I like it. I think Mikheyev, is, um, he kind of molds his game of, off of Hyman. I think he's a little bit more skilled, just a little more, Not not a lot more. But Hyman, I think all in all, is the better player when you... Look at all the, the, the intangibles that Hyman has. You know, the penalty killing is elite. Forechecking is elite. Um, his, his, physica- his physicality is elite. Um, so obviously Hyman, I think, is, is higher. He has higher trade value. But I love what they've come to agree with with Mikheyev. I think it's perfect. Didn't play a lot last year when he played. He looked dominant at times. I remember at the beginning of the year, everyone was saying this guy could potentially be like a Panarin and I was just dying of laughter. I'm like, there's <laughs> no way he's going to be that good. And uh, yeah, I was right with that because Panarin is, he was a hard trophy candidate this year and he's Mikheyev is not going to ever be that. So we could all just agree with that. But I want to talk about the Joe Thornton signing. This is huge. Not only for Joe Thornton, he's 41 years old. This will be his 23rd season in the league, which is wow. That's Amazing. Um, what are your thoughts on the deal and, uh, what do you think is going to happen when Joel Thornton steps in to that locker room?
1: Oh, I love this. Uh, jumbo Joe put him in that third line center, fourth line center. I think this, uh, this even makes Keith get a little bit, uh, risky with the lineup. Maybe you can put Spets on the fourth line on the wing. You have Thornton at center. Uh, you can throw up even Tavares with Matthews and Marner like most of the time. And then you can even have Tavares uh, if he's not going to be the second line center. Uh, you can have Matthews on the wing. You can even put Thornton up there, Curvefoot. foot. So you have a lot of guys that can go wing and center. Uh, this just makes it a lot more of a dynamic l- offensive lineup. Uh, three lines now that can score. Uh, if Thornton gets going. Like even though last year, like a lot of people were saying, oh, he had a bad year in San Jose. But. Like, the entire team, like, no one really performed on that team to a high level. Like, everybody struggled on that team. So, I think he's still capable of putting up 40 to 50 points, given the right line mates. Maybe they'll put Nylander with them. Uh, they'll split up. Maybe Marner, have him with uh, Tavares, have Matthews with uh, Hyman, and then you'll have Thornton with Nylander just to have skill on each line. So, I like what it does with them going forward.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think... Uh... I think it's going to wake up Marner a lot. Um, like what we saw last year with Marner, I feel like he thought that he was maybe like the driving force. And at times he is, but he's not, I don't think he's the main guy to be voicing, like voicing the problems for this team. I mean, it. I still don't think it's Tavares, and he's the captain of the team. Uh, I think Riley should have been the captain. He's the guy I think that talks the most. It's between, Ry- I'll say it's between Riley and Matthews when I think of... Uh, you know, like press conferences and post games, I feel like those two guys are the guys that expand on their thoughts the most. Sean um, Tavares, don't get me wrong, he's been a captain for a very long time. He's a great captain, no, no doubt about it. But I just feel like with the way that things have kind of gone over the last two, three years, you maybe would have thought that Morgan Riley would have been the captain. So um, I'm surprised by that. And I'm actually surprised by Marner being an assistant captain as as quick as last year. I thought. Like this guy, he, he like, don't get me wrong. Marner's an absolutely amazing gifted player in this league, but I don't think he has that leadership quality, at least not yet. So maybe with Jumbo Joe coming, I think maybe you could maybe even see a blossoming um, mature season in Mitch Martiner, And maybe you could see him maybe not put up 95 points. Maybe we could, we, we could see maybe like 80, but his game can maybe become a little bit more all around. And if that were to be the case, I would. I mean, I think Mitch Marner could potentially be a top ten player in this league if he be, if, if all the tools, you know, start coming together and his defensive game gets better. Because we've seen over the years, Mitch Marner has become a great penalty killer. All of a sudden, so I love what Mitch Marner's done. I think this year, you know, he got a little bit ahead of himself with the contract and the ego. I think if Joe Thornton comes in this lineup, I, I really I, I don't know who Marner rooms with. I'm is it, is it Matthews? I don't think it's Matthews. I think Matthews is with Anderson, but um, I really hope Marner rooms with, with Jumbo Joe just to just for him to pump his ego a little bit.
1: Yeah, imagine. Uh, he's gonna be babysitting Marner, uh, making sure he's in bed on time at the rink the next day, ready to be a good pro, but Mitchy,
0: <laughs> um. Well, moving on, we're going to go to the we're going to go to Hoop. There have been some big rumors here, and I guess I'm just going to this is going to be a very basic open question because all I've heard the last 2-3 days is two names. And that's Victor Oladipo and DeMar DeRozan. So I'll start with Victor Oladipo, Alino. I've I've only heard three teams linked to Oladipo. It's the Lakers, the Raptors, and the Heat. Who do you think of the three has the best chance and the best um, return, I guess, to land a guy like a Victor Oladipo.
1: So is he a free agent or is he still under a one-year deal with Indiana?
0: He's, he's still under a one-year deal. Uh, so
1: if the Raptors do it, it might be a little tough then to pull off, unless they know Fred Van Vliet's gone. So it's a thing where a sign and trade, uh, Fred Van Vliet plus like whoever, maybe like a second-round pick, uh, an upcoming uh, conditional pick. Uh, they know that Victor Oladipo, this is the only chance that they can get some whatever return. I can see the Raptors pulling that off, and you see Oladipo maybe even at, uh shooting guard starting off, uh, maybe a point guard at times. Uh, as a Lowry, because he's getting older, maybe give Lowry a rest once in a while because Oladipo is good at being a ball handler, the only thing I don't like is if Oladipo goes to the Lakers, you're looking at, like, what's that trade package going to look like? Is it you're just going to throw Danny Green, Avery Bradley out? Like, that probably makes them regress a little bit. I don't think that makes the Lakers better.
0: Yeah, I agree there. Um, don't get me wrong. Victor Oladipo, I think I think he can benefit the Lakers Like if he were to go there. That's definitely your upgrade at shooting guard. I mean, you, you you had Danny Green and and Avery Bradley and KCP all year. KCP at times looked really really great from three, but other than that, and his perimeter defending is pretty good. But other than that, not a lot there. Oladipo would bring a lot more consistent defensive play, and I think um, we all know. I won't say he's like a twenty five point per game player. I'll maybe say like twenty one point per game player with that two-way ability. I think if Oladipo were to even play with a LeBron James, I feel like that would also motivate him as well. So, I'll just say Oladipo goes to the Lakers just based off of what we said last week. I think they're going to go through a complete makeover. I think they're going to get rid of KCP. I think they're going to get rid of Danny Green. They're just going to be very, very like bare at that spot. I don't think they're really going to have anybody at the shooting guard position. So, I think at that point, they're just going to like the only shooting guard that I can really think of that they're going to keep is either Caruso or Horton Tucker. And those are the only two guys that are rostered right now. And they're not really starters in this league. So I think it wouldn't be too far fetched if we saw Oladipo go to the Lakers. But how about DeMar DeRozan? Where does that guy go?
1: Yeah, that I think the, he's LA, uh, LA Lakers or Clippers. Uh, we'll probably make a run at him. I think he's a better fit for the Lakers over Depot. And uh, this might sound crazy, but what about a reunion on the Raptors for a one-year deal? You see how that goes out. He already knows the system, plays with Lowry, uh, mid-range. You can maybe, with Nurse as being more offensive-minded than Dwayne Casey, you can maybe try some different things out with the Rosen that... They didn't really go in that uh, kind of direction with Casey. Uh, they were more, more post-play with DeRozan. I think if Nurse can work out a system that benefits Rosen, Siakam, Lowry, he probably would uh, take a risk on that, take a gamble. It would be worth a shot on a one-year deal if Ruggieri can make that happen. But uh, other than that, I think Lakers-Clippers would be the top choice.
0: Well... That's really interesting. You say the Raptors on a one-year deal. What would that? What do you think that would look like? Like his stats? Do you think? Because what you just said about Oladipo going to the Lakers, I feel like that would happen with the Raptors if it was DeRozan. I feel like if DeRozan went back to the Raps, DeRozan is a top three Raptor all time. But I just feel like I don't know. Like I don't know if if he would benefit the team at this point in his career. Because he's been that number one scoring option since he came in the league. And I don't know if he's going to be willing to take a reduced role on a team that has literally given him everything since he came in the league. So I don't see him coming here on a one-year deal, especially off of how him and Masai kind of, you know, how, they, how it went. Um, he didn't really tell him anything. He didn't really warn him. But again, it is a business. They all have to understand that. I still think DeRozan's going to the Hawks. I just see it happening. I feel like if he goes to Atlanta with Trey Young, uh, you have you know John Collins. That's I think a, that's a starting five that could be very intriguing for the league next year. Um, but other than that, I mean, the 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 selection is limitless. I think even I could even see DeRozan in New York. As crazy as that sounds, just. The cap space that they ha- that they have, and how they've goofed the last two years in free agency, I just see the Knicks going all in this offseason. Whether that's DeRozan, Van Fleet, they trade for Oladipo, I think they're just going to try and go all in and try and get them the top dog in this in this free agency. Uh, the Knicks, though, is that a kind of I
1: don't know if DeRozan would be a good fit. Like you have RJ Barrett. Uh, DeRozan going in there, Julius Randle, like, it's probably starting off, uh, like, on a rebuild again. I think he wants to win. Unless they bring in Westbrook, like, I saw rumors that maybe the Knicks would try to trade for Westbrook, but I don't know what the package would look like. Maybe Houston would be a little bit more open to it because of the cap space they would save. They can go out and get maybe Oladipo and Van Vliet together. Uh, maybe they can go after Ibaka, but I think, uh, If the Knicks were to get DeRozan, uh, it would probably be with uh, that they have a playoff spot in mind and they got a trade in the works because uh, I don't see DeRozan just going there one off. I think Cleveland would probably be a place over the Knicks that DeRozan would probably go to.
0: I could see that as well. Um, Quickly moving on, this will be the last topic quickly and then we'll end it. Um, The NBA draft, I quickly want to talk because this kind of ties into the NBA trade rumors. Um, so the first pick is belongs to the Timberwolves and they've been linked to trading this pick for quite some time. Um, they've also been linked to drafting either Edwards or LaMelo ball at number one, still not really sure who they're going to take. It's either they're going to take the more complete guard shooting guard in Anthony Edwards, or they're going to take the tall lanky, very skilled point guard in LaMelo. Who do you think they take here? If they trade this pick, who do you think they get in return for the number one pick?
1: Yeah, Minnesota's in a weird spot. Like, they were, for a few years, they had a really good team. Like, it was promising with Butler. Like, that trade that went through. Uh, you had Carl Anthony Towns, Wiggins, Butler, and they couldn't even make that work. So, I don't know. This is tough. Like, do you trade the pick maybe for another center or a power forward so you can maybe move Towns within those two positions? Uh, a team like Philly. You have Tobias Harris there. You can maybe get another couple picks. But with Doc Rivers, with that history he has with Harris, you'll probably want to keep him. Uh, Joel Embiid, I don't know how realistic that would be. But uh, this is going to be hard for their GM because their team is kind of in limbo of being a borderline playoff team, being a competitor, if everything goes well for them. So I would just take the pick if I'm them. And uh, I wouldn't take LaMelo Ball. With that pick, if I'm Minnesota, I don't think he's a good fit there. So, yeah, I'll go plan B on that one.
0: Uh, uh, I guess I'll, I'll now ask this question. Um, Devin Booker is great friends with D'Lo and Carl Anthony Towns. Can you maybe see Devin Booker being dealt for the first pick if you're Phoenix? And if you're Phoenix, are you doing that? I would have if uh,
1: Phoenix didn't do so well in the bubble because they went in there and just tore everyone apart, I think their GM's looking at it like, okay, we have something here. Let's maybe go after this for another year. Maybe get into the deadline, see what happens. Uh, so I won't say that now before that whole bubble, I would have said definitely that could be a trade that's in the works. That could be maybe something announced at the draft. But uh, after that amazing uh, performance here, you got Aiden, you got Booker. If they start developing into superstars, I think Phoenix are going to take their chances with them.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like Phoenix right now is where Philly was three, four years ago. Like you have you have Embiid and Simmons three, four years ago, and everyone's like, okay, watch out for the process, the process, the process. It's coming, it's coming. They're gonna win, they're gonna win. And yeah, when they're home and when they're in Philly, they're almost unbeatable. But do you maybe see DeAndre Aiden and Devin Booker being a process two point oh? And if so, what does that even mean for Phoenix? Does that mean they're, they're not going to be successful? Do you see maybe even a guy like DeAndre Aiden getting dealt before Booker? What are your thoughts on, uh, on that pairing moving forward? Yeah, I have them in a
1: spot with like, Memphis, um, like, they're right there. I just don't see them being a uh, definitive playoff team. Even Utah is starting to go into that direction a little bit. I think they need to make a decision on Gobert and Mitchell, if that's going to work out uh, going forward. Because I think what Jokic and Jamal Murray were able to do, their chemistry together, you can just tell on the court how good they are offensively, uh, how they're able to read plays. So I think Utah, Memphis, and Phoenix are going to be in that spot where you're like 7 to 10. You're all going for that 8 spot, 7 spot, positioning in the West it's all going to come down to who goes on a run. Because I think New Orleans is going to be a top five, top six team. I think uh, with Zion Williamson there, I think for a full year, healthy. And uh, Lonzo Ball, if he gets his act together, I think you're looking at a perennial playoff team there.
0: I agree. Uh, I guess I'll end with this. Um, it's, it's, this is like the first time that I can... You know, this is the first time I can recall in a long time where the top two picks are not are basically not um they're not off the table like i think the timberwolves if there's a trade that can be you know worked on i think they will do it i think if you know you if teams start offering devin booker or ben simmons i think you know i think the timberwolves bite there and i think they'll trade their first pick the same thing with i think golden state the second pick i think they could also deal it if the right trade were to come i we heard earlier in the year that the raps were linked to it, you know, trying to get LaMelo ball with Kyle Lowry potentially departing soon. Um, what are your thoughts on this speculation? And if Golden State keeps the pick, do you think they take the big center in James Wiseman? Oh, yeah. I think that's a perfect fit. I think if uh, they're able to, if they see that
1: he's able to go into the NBA right away, like he, um, he could be a good player maybe in like three or four years, but I think. Golden State situation. This is a good opportunity for them to play around with their roster. They got the second overall pick. They're not a bottom team in the West by far. They're a playoff team easily with uh, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, Draymond Green all healthy. So I think they'll look at this. They got Andrew Wiggins too so depends what they want to do with him but I see them taking the center if they think that he's going to step into their lineup this year and even produce 10 rebounds a game. If he's able to like seven, eight points. But if he's a guy that they think is gonna be a project, like more of a four to five year option, I think they'll look at trading him.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Um, all good stuff today. Uh, I'm here with Giancarlo Alino. This was episode one oh two. Quickly touching up on Hell in the Cell, talked about Patrick Lyne and where we believe he's going to go, Joe Thornton and the Leafs, and of course All the NBA trade rumors that have been speculating. So this is episode 102. Chris Martelli, Giancarlo Alino, signing off.